ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. Bangay is an internationally acclaimed leading Australian garden designer and these are his Garden Rudimentals, a blueprint series on the basics of garden craft. Uh, the sound of the exquisite outdoors, which is where I find Paul Bangay. Hello. Jonathan. Paul and I, we, we chat once a month on, on things garden and rudimental. And if you've missed any of those conversations, and there's a year, a year and a bit of them now. That long already? Yes. Wow. Uh, you'll find them on the ABC Listen app. But Paul, we, we began last time, we were talking inspiration last yes. time. Yeah. Which is a fine thing to find in a garden. Yes. And, and well, to inspire the thing itself. And one great source, I mean, your your perhaps Australia's best-known garden designer. <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> Debatable. But there, but there have been others before you. Yes. And I think that, um, for me, I got great inspiration as a child, and still do, from books. Hmm. You know, one of my greatest escapes as a, as a child was um, going down to the local library and borrowing um, books on gardens. What's your first garden book? Well, um, I think my first garden book was Gertrude Jekyll's um, woodland garden and I just thought it was magical going into the, the world of Gertrude Jekyll um, and my our local library another Wadding library very well stocked they must have had a great gardener down there <laughs> as the librarian very well stocked with good gardening books what great good fortune yeah, no I was very 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 lucky wasn't I her woodland tell me about that so Gertrude Jekyll um, was a gr was a, a really well-known garden English garden designer who worked closely with Edward Lutyens and she um, actually discovered Lutyens she gave Lutyens one of his first sort of commissions um, and they worked very closely together and um, she wrote about I don't know eight eight to ten books mm. on garden design specifically on garden design and she taught herself about garden design she was myopic she could hardly see and she saw um, colour in a very blurry way. Wow. And that's how she designed her flower borders. Like, she didn't see individual colours. The, the colours actually merged together, which gave her this lovely sort of feeling to a, to a flower border. Isn't that incredible? That, that, that's an extraordinary thing. And, and as for the person with, without that myopia... Yeah. How do they look? What I mean, that that's still that sense of, of oh, and 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 her so her herbaceous borders were copied hmm. laboriously for up until today. I what, mean, she was the mother of herbaceous borders, what, really. <laughs> I want I want that on my tombstone. <laughs> what, what, the mother of all <laughs> herbaceous borders. borders. <laughs> What's her period? When are we talking about? Uh, so she was the early nineteenth, early twentieth century. And is that, I mean, is that a turning point uh, in garden design? I mean, modernity occurs, possibly the, the size of land that people are wanting to make gardens in is maybe getting a bit smaller? I think so. I mean, I mean, up, I th guess up until that time, we only thought about gardens as the sort of large estates. Hmm. Hers were slightly more domestic in scale. You know, they, they were still country gardens, but they did come down in scale quite a bit. Um, and, and I think more importantly, the books that she wrote were very taken up by home gardeners and were, and were easily sort of translated to a, to a smaller domestic s scale. Is there a moment too when when garden design becomes something of a specialty? I imagine 
at that time and, and maybe 19th century. I mean, people you know, would, would take their own cuttings. They would make their own sort of constructions and gut. I mean, it, it was a skill that was perhaps a bit closer to people's consciousness yeah. in those times than it maybe is now. I think so. Yes, I think, um, I mean, it, when did it become an actual profession? Mm. I think, I mean, we go right back to, um, you know, Capability Brown and before Capability Brown, they were they were very highly regarded landscape designers. So, you know, design, garden design had been around for quite a long time. That's interesting, though. You just jumped in, in expression from, from garden design to landscape design. design. Yes, well. And that when I think Capability so, ground, Brown, I think that big sweeping vision. Well, and I think that's where you're absolutely right. I think they were all about the landscape. Gertrude Jekyll was really more about the garden. And then, of course, we went to William Robinson, who was the wild gardener. And so he took, he sort of elaborated a bit more on Gertrude Jekyll's designs mm. and created sort of a wilder, more naturalistic garden that, we, that we're following today, really. What sort of stuff did he like? What were his, his, oh, his he, favourites? He, he liked letting trees, you know, and, and a very much a precursor to our Edna Walling, mm -hmm. like, you know, uh, scatters of silver birch trees with, with lovely sort of mollusazayas underneath them. Very loose, very casual. Heather, like, you know, instead of Heather being out in the fields, he brought Heather into the garden and sort of drifts of Heather under, underneath huh. underneath um, silver birch trees. Was it you who told me that in the Walling thing about locating her birches by yeah, throwing tossing, a, stone over tossing, tossing potatoes, potatoes, over, potatoes. Over, over her? Well, because we spoke about this. Over doing something random they, is yes. one of the hardest things in the world to do. Yes. If you actually go put stakes where you want trees to look random, there's some sort of pattern that always reoccurs. And so she got over this by just throwing potatoes over her shoulder. I wonder if you ever cheated, you know, no, I don't like the way they've fallen, no, I'm no, going to I mean, move that, that one's a little bit too close to the, to the, <laughs> to the, to the other one. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. So we, we have this this idea of wildness, and that's, I'm, try, I'm trying to, um, this is probably a, a hopeless quest, but I'm, I'm wondering if there is a a matching of, of, of broader history and, and movement of socially with what's happening in the garden, and that, that wildness thing seems to be occurring in that, that sort of strange time of the 20s and 30s when, you know, the, the world thinks it's, it, it's been traumatised and, it, and, is, and is acting out a bit. It's, 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 it's a looser place. Well, but, but funny enough, they often say when there's a lot of money around, when the economy is really booming, we hark back to traditional times. Mm -hmm. We hark back to classicism. So we go back, you think of the 1980s, very much a reproduction of classical architecture again. You know, the whole of Australia was filled with mock Georgian houses back then. And then, then when harder times come, we seem to be going towards more casual, more freer, more relaxed sort of styles. So I think that's probably the social comment there. Okay. Do you think? Yeah, well, garden design is, is one of the things which does change with the times yeah it's, it does. definitely has its 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 patterns and, and trends and i think it is tied up with climate as well i mean we've got to, we've got to think mm. that we're very worried about the changing climate and sort of very traditional large lawns that need a lot of water lots of hedges that needs a lot lot of clipping a lot of work yeah. you know labor costs are high we're worried about the water usage so you know that sort of wilder garden freer garden doesn't need as much labor so doesn't need as much energy doesn't need as much water what would be your, your sort of reading list? You've, you've so, discovered one as, as, yeah. as a lad. Yes. <laughs> I, I would... The, uh, Russell Page's Education of a Gardener. If anyone is an aspiring landscape designer or even a home 
garden designer. Mm-hmm. They have to get Russell Page's education of a gardener. His now, story. So he was he's my greatest hero of all time. So he was he was sort of operating in the nineteen fifties, sixties, seventies, maybe a little bit earlier than that. And his gardens, he is the king of proportion and scale. Like he just got it all completely right. Um, he worked for the Agnelli family. He worked for all those wonderful sort of industrialist Italian families. Worked in England, worked in America, did the Pepsi Cola headquarters in outside New York. Like he's just a master of garden design. But his book, The Education of a Gardener, is all writing. There's not much photography in there. Hmm. And it's just fascinating reading. If anyone wants to really get a good grounding for landscape design, it's, it's that book. What's his basic thought? Does he have a, a guiding theory? No, not really. I mean, I, he tries to teach a scale, and he, he, he sort of he taught me that um, don't be afraid of large scale. Like, don't under underscale things. Always try and overscale things. And I think that's what, stuck what in my that? mind. Give, give me an example of that. Well, you know, don't make your garden beds too narrow. Always make mm-hmm. them generous. Okay. Make them mm-hmm. deep. You know, if you're going to do a pergola, make it taller than what you think it should be. If you're going to do a pot and a terrace, let's do it fifty percent bigger than what your initial thought was, and it'll probably look better. Why does that work, I wonder? Because we at, instinctively we want to underscale things. I don't know why, but we do. All right. Got the scale sorted. <laughs> <laughs> what, what do I read next? So then, then um, you know, I think all the Edna Walling books are pretty fabulous. Edna Walling spoke, you know, did uh, quite a few books. And I think reading all her books certainly taught me quite a lot. And I think her... Her take on Australian garden design was pretty amazing. And a funny, it, it, she ended up by writing books on the weeds that grow on the, on the side of roads. So, <laughs> so she, she's ended up where we all ended up, where we love it, we're in love with weeds. <laughs> well, is that a natural progression? I, it may be. I mean, it's, it's funny how the, the things sort of go hand in hand a bit. People like writing about gardens. It's, uh, yeah. they're, they're twin skills. Yeah, and they're, they're a hard thing to write about too. Mm. Mm. That, 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 that itself takes a, a fair bit of ability to conjure that. I think. I, I think it does. I mean, I think a lot of us instinctively know what we want to do in the garden, but then articulating that and writing it down is, is, is often quite difficult. You I, can't, I you often can't, struggle with that. You've done a few that. of your own. <laughs> I've done a few of my own books, but I'll, quite often I struggle with that. <laughs> so after Edna Walling? Um, I think that, you know, if, if we go, then, then um, there was a wonderful book called Visions of Paradise that came out in the 1980s, and that was the, the start of that big explosion of garden photography books uh-huh. you know you know we sort of was very much the books before that were about sort of words and black and white photographs all of a sudden we had the explosion of wonderful big full page color photographs of of, of wonderful big international gardens and visions of paradise right. was, was was the first book of that sort of genre but we won't even mention sort of the what the instagram period has yeah. done for, <laughs> for that there i mean funny enough books are coming back again mm. like when i first started publishing books they were very popular. Then, you know, book sales went down and now they're going back up again. It's amazing in the year of Instagram. It's a tricky thing, though. I mean, the beautifully curated, perfectly lit, uh, much laboured over garden photograph. Yeah. It can be an intimidating thing. You know, it, it is is what you might do as a source of, you know, taking that as a source of inspiration. Will it ever be that good? It's do you think it, you think that yeah it's an that's an interesting thought i mean i quite often people come and visit our garden i know when i go visit gardens other people's gardens and they all look so beautiful and they all look so perfect mm. Is that intimidating? I don't think it is. I think what people take away from that and from those big photographies is maybe just little parts of it. You know, gardeners are good at looking at that and going, actually, I like that 
two combinations of plants Those there. things there, yes. Yeah, yes. you know, it's not the big broad picture. It's more the detail in there that they seem to take away. So, and then moving, we're kind of moving now into our current period. And you've done all this without mentioning Vita Sackville West. I know. Well, I'm impressed by that. <laughs> Do I overplay Vita Sackville well, West? Well, not necessarily. <laughs> I mean, you know, Sissinghurst, we've spoken about Sissinghurst many times and the, and the great effect that has on people. And her writings, you know, just so, she writes about gardens so beautifully. Mm. And funny enough, I mean, she, she you know, she was a great novelist um, and a great poet. But her greatest achievements, she says, were the writings she used to do for one of the magazines in England or one of the newspapers in England. And she used to write about her garden. A garden column. Okay. A garden column. It was yeah. a garden column. And, I, and so she, and she used to write, and people used to write to her, and then she'd write back and tell them what to do in the garden. And I've got quite a few of those letters. I've been collecting them. Well, thank you. That, that's a nice little Cook's tour through. There's a nice uh, potted reading history there. And we, and we want to finish, as we've been doing this year, with a, a a quote from your The Gardener Says book. Yes. Go on. To forget how to dig the earth and tend the soil is to forget ourselves. Who said that? Mahatma Gandhi. Oh. Isn't that fabulous? And I think that that is... So many people are scared to put their hands in the soil. Why is that? Because I think that's mm. one of the greatest calming things that I can do is getting down the vegetable garden, getting my hands dirty. It's a wonderful... I, I almost resent the times that I need to put gloves on. Yeah, I, 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 I resist gloves of, greatly. Yeah. I know we're supposed to wear to, gloves. To our but detriment, probably. Probably to our detriment. I've never been sick from putting my hands in the soil, have you? Not that I'm aware of. The occasional cut or scrape, yeah. that, you know. That does you good. It is a wizard one. Well, we, we, we are with Gandhi. We're in a unity ticket here. Exactly. Paul, <laughs> oh, thank you. Pleasure. Stream any ABC radio station live and on the go. Discover new podcasts, music and audiobooks, all free on the ABC Listen app.